we're left with the question of what do we do for people with ALS today based on the information we have? And is the information we have today good enough to justify giving doctors the ability to prescribe? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connecting ALS. I am your host, Jeremy Holden. The FDA recently informed Amelix Pharmaceuticals that it was reconvening the Peripheral and Central Nervous System Drugs Advisory Committee on September 7th to further consider the company's new drug application for AMX35, a drug that is safe and effective at treating ALS. As regular listeners are aware, the advisory committee cast a narrow, controversial, and non-binding vote earlier this year against approving the drug, instead calling on regulators to wait a few years while additional clinical trials are concluded. Since that non-binding vote was cast, several dozen leading experts in ALS clinical care urged the FDA to approve the treatment, saying they should be able to discuss it as an option for people living with ALS they treat, even as clinical trials continue. In addition, nearly 10,000 emails have been sent to the FDA calling on the agency to approve the drug while additional testing continues. And notably, additional evidence underscores the efficacy of Amex 35 in slowing disease progression and extending life. We will share notes to all of this in the show notes. Moreover, public health officials in Canada have approved the treatment for people living with ALS in that country, further putting pressure on the FDA to make a decision quickly. To try and understand where things stand today on the fight for access to AMX35, we are joined by Dr. Neil Thacker, Chief Mission Officer for the ALS Association. Dr. Thacker, thanks as always for being with us this week on Connecting ALS. Yeah, thank you. It's nice to be here. Well, I I went into a little bit of detail at the top, but I wanted to get your initial reaction. So uh, what do you make of the FDA's decision to reconvene the advisory committee as part of its decision-making around AMX 35? Well, I think it's a good step because after the advisory committee, a couple of papers came out that were um, following the folks who were in the clinical trial for a longer time period after the study. And in that extended time period, they found the longer, the more people were on the Amlex drug, the longer their survival time was. They also found uh, people who took the drug also had a decreased or delayed chance of, of, uh, of serious hospitalization. And those are both serious findings. And given how mixed the, the findings were from the original advisory committee, the reviewers were really on the fence. Uh, this new information, uh, which in this case is very positive information, is worth another look. And so uh, it's good that they're they're doing this. Well, one of the things that that initial advisory committee had suggested is is waiting on the results of the ongoing phase three clinical trial. You, you mentioned this interim data analysis that came out in recent weeks that is kind of the, the impetus for the reconvening of the advisory committee. How does that speak to the position that we're gonna get the phase three data but we already know enough that about the safety and efficacy of this particular drug. Well, we can't be sure that these two papers are the reason why sure. uh, this advisory committee is reconvening. The, the FDA doesn't have to tell us why they're doing what they're doing. They just have to tell us what they're doing. We hope that's the reason. I think that's what people are saying is the reason and certainly makes sense. But we, we don't have definitive information on that point, I believe. Fair enough. Um, the, the phase three trial, um, 
is ongoing, as you mentioned, and it will be really important to have those results, but those results are years away. And so we're, we're left with the question of, what do we do for people with ALS today based on the information we have? And is the information we have today good enough to justify giving doctors the ability to prescribe? Our position has been, and has been since 2020, that the information we have today is sufficient enough to allow a clinician and a, and a person with ALS to make that decision for themselves. So that's what this is really about. We, we also believe that that phase three trial is really important and we need to get the results. Yeah, so it's, it's not an either or, it's, it's kind of a both and. Right. Right. In its statement, uh, in response to the news about the FDA reconvening the advisory committee, the ALS Association expressed hope that the committee will ask the right question this time. Uh, what is the right question? And I guess related to that, what did the FDA advisory committee get wrong uh, back in March? Well, I think the FDA advisory committee, which again are external advisors, were asked by the FDA if the data presented to them are sufficient for approval. And sufficient is, you know, a very broad term. And in the context of the FDA, we've always maintained that what's sufficient for approval should be context dependent. It should depend on the disease. And so if you have a, a disease where there's lots of active treatments and effective treatments, then you should have a higher standard to introduce a new drug because it's not a life-threatening, rapidly progressing disease like ALS. And then, of course, the other, the other standard should be the severity of the illness. If the disease is deadly, then the risk-benefit analysis for taking a drug is, should be different um, than it, it is if you're taking a, a drug for a disease or a symptom which isn't uh, life-threatening. So, you know, heartburn treatments or hay fever treatments um, should have a different kind of safety profile, perhaps, than a deadly cancer or a disease like ALS. And so, you know, for us, uh, for ALS, the, that other dimension, in addition to available treatments and the severity of illness, is the rapidity of the illness. And so asking the community to wait an additional probably three years for that phase three trial to be completed to have certainty about the decision to take, we, we argue is the wrong call to make in this case with this drug. What we want the FDA to be asking the advisory committee is, should ALS clinicians and people with ALS be allowed to prescribe and take the drug today? It's a much more practical focused question, which is specific to this drug and this disease. I know it's early. Uh, this news just came out as we're talking just a, a few days ago. Do we have a sense of who will be presenting at the advisory committee on September 7th? I haven't seen those details yet. I, I'm hoping we'll get more soon, but I, I don't know that. Well, well, we'll keep our eyes and ears on that and, and let listeners know and, and share resources in the show notes as they become available. Dr. Thacker, you talked about uh, physicians and their patients being able to talk about AMX35 as a potential treatment. And, and it strikes me that we've also recently received the interim report from ICER, an organization that we've talked about on the show before. And I don't want to get too far into the details of the report, but what was your initial reaction uh, to that report from ICER? My initial reaction is that the, the data that they're using to generate their cost estimates aren't, aren't very good. Um, so for example, to look at costs of the burden on families of living with ALS, 
They're relying on a data source that they found from South Korean families. To really understand what the the impacts are of ALSR on someone and what the relative value is of various stages of the disease and and to avoid those stages of disease, they're using, in part, a a decade-old data from um, the UK. And and those things are very different because if, if, for example, if you need help uh, feeding yourself and you can get someone to come into your home and assist you with that, then your caregiver can go out and shop or maybe even uh, have a full-time job because you have that help. That's a function of the health system, which is very different in the UK and very different in South Korea than it is in the United States. So because that data aren't very good, you know, you got to make the best of what you have. But what I haven't seen in that initial report, and they I serve time to fix this, they haven't been paying the same attention to the data that's going into their cost models as they are in the on the clinical trial approaches. As you know, we're really concerned, the whole research enterprise is really concerned about the inclusiveness of clinical trial data, who gets to be in a study. And then when you look at who gets to be in the study, how effective is that study predicting how uh, a drug will work with the general population? We have those same challenges with cost studies. Uh, who gets to be in the cost study it gets to tell you a lot about how valuable that data is in predicting costs for general populations. And how do you do that for an American population when you don't have an American data? That's just um, a fundamental problem. So we're, we're, we're working through that. We're preparing comments. We'll have something um, next week, I believe, on that. And stay tuned uh, here on this channel. We'll be digging more into some of the concerns about ICER. And uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll be talking a little bit about some of the efforts being done to expand access to clinical trials and, and trial capacity. Uh, I think that's going to do it for our conversation, though, this week, Dr. Thacker. Any other thoughts about the ongoing fight for access and availability of AMX35 and other emerging drugs? Yeah, I, I think it's it might be worth mentioning, Jeremy, um, the letter from some of the leading ALS clinicians in the United mm. States who did communicate to the FDA, which doesn't happen very often, for them to say that they also thought that the questions asked in the initial advisory committee weren't the right questions, weren't the questions that were most relevant to them as people who treat, you know, probably more people with ALS than any other group in the U.S., so hopefully the FDA heard them and we'll get to see a sort of a different different approach, a more grounded approach um, with the second advisory uh, committee. We'll see. Very active summer and I will stay tuned and keep track of things as they happen down the road. Uh, Dr. Thacker, thank you as always for your time. All right. Thank you. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Neil Thacker, Chief Mission Officer at the ALS Association. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. And while you're at it, find time to rate and review Connecting ALS wherever you listen to podcasts. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. Post-production by Garrett Tiedemann. Production management by Gabriella Montekin. Supervised by David Hoffman. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll connect with you again soon. Music